Hi, and welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Treasure Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we are going to talk to two educators and two co-authors of an upcoming, soon-to-be-released book that I think every school leader I know will want to make sure is on the professional learning library shelf on their campus. Before we dig into that conversation, we do have a little bit of business and an announcement. Hi, my name is Addie Tsai, and I am the editor for a forthcoming anthology currently titled Express Yourself. We're looking for people from the LGBTQIA plus community who are ages 13 through 20 to reflect on fashion. We'd love to hear about your relationship to fashion icons who helped inform your own style. Was there a specific point or a particular article of clothing or accessory that you found sort of your style and relationship to your gender or sexual identity? Do you feel that you are or will become a fashion designer? What does that aesthetic look like? These are just a few examples of some of the things we're hoping to hear about um, for this project. We're also seeking a few adult contributors who are prominent in the LGBTQIA creative communities, especially associated with fashion. So also please reach out. We're looking for narrative reflections that address some aspect of fashion, including but not limited to hair, clothing, cosmetics, skincare, shoes, undergarments, drag, costume, hosiery, jewelry, perfumery, and other accessories like binders or um, packers, or harnesses or other type of fetish wear. We really wanna hear from you. If you are not somebody that is really a writer, you don't think that you could possibly, even for the purposes of this anthology, put something together. We are also hoping to um, hear from you if you're really into Instagram and TikTok reels. So feel free to Post a, a reel or a TikTok video with the hashtag express yourself on TikTok or Instagram about what LGBTQ fashion means to you as part of the community. This could be anything from a thrifted look to a makeup trend or even, you know, a love letter remake of uh, something that your favorite icon is often seen wearing. In order to reach us, please um, email express yourself anthology at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. A little bit about me, my name is Addie, like I said, and I'm a non-binary and queer artist of color and I am the founding editor-in-chief of Just Femme and Dandy. You can find us on justfemandandy.com. We are the first ever literary and arts magazine that publishes work solely centered around LGBTQIA fashion. And so I am just super excited about this project and super excited to hear from new and emerging voices that I have no doubt will become the voices that we look to in in fashion and in um, queer and trans identity. So please let me hear from you. Thanks so much. To learn more about Express Yourself, you can head over to the show notes to get all of the information you need. And listeners, while you are over there in the show notes, you'll also be able to find a special discount code for the book 
Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a guide for teachers and school leaders. And you're going to want that code because the guests on today are here to discuss the research that went into that book, as well as the many applications it has for us in the world of K-12 education and beyond. So please welcome to the show two of the co-authors, Angeline Au and Dr. Sadie Hollins. And you both have been on the podcast before in the show notes. I will link to those earlier episodes because listeners, I know that you will both that you will want to hear more from both of these educator leaders. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how your experience is a part of your upcoming soon to be released book, Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a guide for teachers and school leaders? So sorry for that five part question to start things off with. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll make that 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 hard start with that very complicated question. Thanks to you both for being here. So, Trisha, thanks so much for having us. It's really nice to see you again. Um, yeah, just, I guess, a little bit about me. Um, I'm British born. I'm currently based in the UK as well, a uh, queer educator. Um, I previously worked as a head of sick form at a British curriculum international school in, in Thailand. Um, so I was there for a few years. Um, that was a real transformational experience for me and that definitely led um, to the the stuff we talk about in the book. Um, prior to that, I worked in a few different things. I worked in higher education, like sporting students and teaching students, um, but I also did a period of time as a support worker at addiction rehab on an LGBTQ plus program. So that was definitely like um, an important experience for me going into working in schools. Um, and outside of that, I have worked as the editor of the Wellbeing and International School magazine. Um, and I think like looping all these things together, like I, I don't know if me search is the right phrase, but I think I've been drawn to the things that I need to understand the most. And I think that's partly like what's led me to working in schools as well to help other people to, to do the same. And um, hi, everyone. I'm Angeline and I'm a Chinese Australian migrant. Um, I was born in Malaysia and moved to Australia when I was nine. And I've been in international education since 2002. And really, based on my personal and professional experiences, I've been interested in learning and teaching related to multilingualism, intercultural understanding, um, how to be an active citizen, um, and also really bridging the intercultural gaps through understanding bias stereotypes, you know, power dynamics within an organizational culture, what it's like to collaborate and work in groups, and, um, and in my role as a pedagogical leader. So I work at Berlin International School as the PYP coordinator. So I, you know, the adults are my learners. And, um, and uh, it's, when they say that uh, doctors make the worst patients, I think sometimes, you know, teachers kind of, you know, make them, <laughs> I'm not the easiest of students. <laughs> and so you have to be at the top of your game. And that's how I've kind of been able to hone my craft. And um, and so working also with the IB program and the International Baccalaureate program, um, so I've been a, a, a member, of, a leader in that field um, as well. And so I've started presenting a lot about topics that I, I love to think about. So fostering international mindedness, for example, multilingual learning and teaching, pedagogical leadership, and also designing curriculum projects and, and developing teacher training materials. So all of that kind of 
culminated, I guess, with um with different experiences I had with being able to present at um you know an intercultural learning symposium hosted by the Council of International Schools and also with ECIS, and um and I would present about things like bias and stereotypes. And this was as early as like 2016. And, you know, so a lot of my works, you know, started before 2020, um, where I think some people have a lot of misconception that, that this is, this is the year that everyone suddenly started doing DI related work. Um, but some of us have been working in it for a while now. And so my experience there, um, within my profession and also in my voluntary work. Um, so it's great to hear about Sadie, how you were, you've been working, um, in, in that field too. And, and so my service, it has been for women in education and um and i have um co-founded women ed de starting with a regional group in berlin and now there are groups in um you know munich bavaria area frankfurt mine and in nord rhine westphalia um and and those that affinity groups um are there to support each other um because you know with women in education there are gender pay gaps in leadership their career gaps and there are lots of kind of internal challenges that we face um due to being predominantly in patriarchal societies and um and also the external systemic challenges that we are trying to work on. And so these experiences really have been have I guess been a testament to my dedication to inclusion and ethical leadership. And so with with this um kind of trajectory for more than over two decades, um has brought me to this point where I had the absolute pleasure of working with Sadie Hollins to co-write this book. Um, and, and yeah, so that's really been my journey, Tricia. Thank you both. I mean, I, I felt like it was important to start there because when, you know, this episode really focusing on the book and listeners, I'm just going to repeat the title and let you know over in the show notes, you can find the link to it. The book is, again, Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a Guide for Teachers and School Leaders. I wanted to point out that both of you bring so many different perspectives, so much experience to that book. And I think that's in part why there's been so much excitement on social media about the release. Um, so thank you so much for for sharing a bit more on the background of, of all of the different work and learning that you have been a part of. The book is written in three sections, starting with you, moving to us, and then wrapping up with institution. Can you say a little bit more about the intention behind that specific three-part structure for the book? Sure. I think, you know, well, um, to become a totally inclusive school, we need conduits for change. And those conduits, I think, are um, will help accelerate the work in, in, a, in a school. And, you know, schools consist of human beings. And I think we are constantly evolving our own sense of self, our own mindsets, and th those mindsets underlie our behaviors. So that's, that's why it's really important to begin with you, to find out what is your why? Um, how do you think? What are your dispositions that you're bringing into um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work? Um, because if you want to be someone who's going to disrupt the current educational system so that we can construct what we owe each and every student, you need to understand who you are and what your stance is on that. Uh, by building on what Anne Means um, said, like the first section, I guess, 
is there to introduce concepts and terms like for everyone, whatever point they're coming into this journey, whether they've been doing work for a while, whether they're new to it, curious and, and want to make an impact in the school. So I guess like the, I just to speak at the first chapter at the minute, that's mainly to outline um, some of those key terms. And then it kind of finishes the first section with um, reflecting on our power and positionality to, to make changes in, in our school. And so I think, you know, to build on that understanding of self in that first section, so once we know better what our purpose is and the lenses in which we have when we interact with others, so then it came, comes the us part of the book, right? So that that real intrapersonal piece where we look at how we interact with each other. And I think, you know, the, the chapters in that second section really touch on key aspects of how we can build uh, an inclusive learning culture. There are identities aren't created in a in a vacuum and the interactions we have really shape who we become um so there's kind of three parts to that section we talk about the power of language we talk a little bit more about um microaggressions but but mainly focusing on language and how that's used and to better understand that um, and then we talk about safeguarding um not just from this perspective of safeguarding students but also safeguarding staff as well and that's something I like found really powerful as we were writing it, and um, it really did have an impact on me. And then um, the the last chapter of that section focuses around well being in, and creating kind of um, totally inclusive spaces, which feed into um, our well being. And and so like you know as we begin with you, and then we think about how we are in community with each other through the us section. Uh, we another real structural conduit for change is what you have in your infrastructure in your institution right and so the last um section of the book um outlines those kind of um the, you know the, the, the not so very sexy parts of the school let's say um you know thinking about the structure infrastructure no one wants to talk about policies but they're really important if we're to have accountability and um and so what's going to help you drive your behaviors are some of the written things right and there's a lot of unwritten things in your culture but uh so the final section really looks at um those kind of written components and and also um in chapter nine for example a key part is a continuum um, of becoming a totally inclusive school and so on one end of the continuum it looks it describes what an exclusive school looks like and then on the other end of the continuum what a totally inclusive school looks like because i think schools want to know they're not sure that they're I mean, like like every teacher is not sure and they're wondering well am i doing a good job schools want to know am i doing a good job as well and so how will they know um, where they are in development if we don't have clear criteria to strive for. And so um, having this assessment tool is really useful so you can um, know what your end goal could look like. Um, and it, although it's never really an end, it's a continuation of development really. And so this continuum will serve that purpose to help schools envision their next steps of growth. And um, and so in there, it also expands upon what each um, stage of development looks like. It'll share what teachers typically say at each stage, what leaders typically do at each stage, and also the infrastructure pieces like policies and systems that are in place at each stage or that are lacking um, in that stage. And with that specific kind of structure, it will help you to self-identify in your school, what you need to do next in terms of growing. I think already listeners are getting a sense of how comprehensive and how practical this book is. 
Your book summary also spotlights that readers can anticipate learning more about the relationship between mindsets and inclusivity. Could you give us an example of a mindset and how you each have personal experience in growing or nurturing that mindset? Uh, Trisha, when you said when we was like looking at this question, I like found it really hard to pin down exactly um, what it was like the mindset that I've uh, like I've cultivated or continued to kind of grow and what impact that's had. But in saying that, it's a very good question because I feel like I'm, I'm still thinking about it now. Um, I think for me, like I, I've come in um, thinking, you know, I understood um, on an intellectual level what we were talking about here in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion. But I feel like I'm coming out of the other side of the book, um, having realised that that's just just only just the beginning. Like this is a real continual process of learning. And I'm almost like, I feel like I've grown different lenses to see things more clearly. I know that sounds quite cliche, but I think it's really given me a, a critical awareness of um, the conversations we have, the the things that go on in our schools. Like um, one example I, I was thinking of is when, you know, we as teachers say things that uphold really damaging views and perspectives of the world, but also hearing students say that as well. So, you know, when I was in my my old school, we had a lot of um, Thai students or like kind of Thai um, British students and how they talked about their Thainess was in a, a quite a derogatory way at times, not all students, but some students. And it made me rather than kind of feeling like you're, you're not tuned into that, it's like tuning into that and and kind of questioning why that is and what are they hearing outside of their discussions that that kind of perpetuates that. Like, why are they devaluing their Thai um, culture and their Thai side? Um, so I think like having those discussions as well, but some students are hyper aware um, about the issues that we discuss in the book and other students aren't, you know, same as adults are not. And I think it's raising awareness to like thinking about things more critically and why we think the things we do and what impact that has on our actions. So I think for me, it's a real... Um, critical awareness like a not hypersensitivity but I'm much more tuned into the things that go on um around me now and yeah that's great to hear um Sadie about that uh, how you're you're more aware and I think with growing awareness um we are better able to bridge across differences uh, because we're aware of ourselves and and also aware of others in a in a more in a deeper way and um, and so for me, I find that one of the the key mindsets um, that that may not be explicit in the book, but it kind of um, is an underlying thing that's mentioned really across the um, all the chapters is is this idea of having um, intercultural development skills and intercultural capabilities. Um, so I'm a qualified administrator of the Intercultural Development Inventory, the IDI, and it's, this focuses on intercultural competence across the continuum. And so I, f- I feel like it's really important for us to be able to shift perspectives and adapt our behavior to to address and meet differences and commonalities. Because if we say that we value diversity, that means that we are also um, should be able to bridge, you know, what's different from us 
from me and, and across to you. And we're, and so, and when I say also intercultural, it's not just the culture part, right? So there are many different aspects of one's identity. Um, and we have to um, really value that with, with um, dignity and to be able to bridge that. And so on one end of, of, you know, being interculturally competent, you might have a monocultural mindset, such as like having a denial orientation where you don't see differences. Um, and like, so this is where people might say, you know, like, all lives matter or I don't see color. And um and and really that that could that will be that type of mindset will be prominent in an exclusive environment, right? Where where schools may not think that they have a have an issue. Um and then and then if they're kind of growing and developing across a continuum of being inclusive, you might have like a polarization orientation where you might recognize differences and but you have really strong feelings about how one something should go because you think one way is better. Uh, and so that's where you have like a real um, superiority kind of mindset setting in. Hence, you, there are really polarizing beliefs in this in this sort of stage of development in a school. Um, and as but as you, as your kind of community grows and and as a collective, you have more intercultural um, skills, then you may develop like a bit of a what we call a minimization mindset, where you're finding commonalities and people are working really hard to, you know, get along and to go along with things. Um, but at this stage too, it's more kind of getting along and finding those commonalities to assimilate in a way rather than really truly value um, and to and respond and, and adapt to difference, which is then the another the mindset at, at the kind of more intercultural end of the of the continuum, which is looking at um being um adaptive um and and then being showing acceptance so that one can be adaptive right so yeah so and i think that really if you have an adaptive um intercultural mindset then you're able to hold you know complex perceptions and experiences from from many um diverse different identities and it's so that you can really recognize them appreciate them shift your own thinking change your own behavior in really appropriate and authentic ways um, and so that for me is something that I keep thinking about and keep developing because, because, you know, I'm a migrant living in Germany <laughs> and I am visibly, you know, Chinese. Um, and, um, and also I, I'm in a cross-cultural marriage. My husband, he's German. And um and my kids are growing up, um with a foot in different cultures, well, with many feet, I guess, <laughs> different cultures, and and um and and so that yeah, having an intercultural mindset is something I I keep I draw on and and keep developing. It's interesting because what you both describe kind of reminds me. You know, I've been thinking so much about listening skills and how often they are undervalued, right? You know, traditionally, I feel like education always poises like speaking skills, right? Like speech club, debate club, and they always sort of prioritize the what am I saying? What am I saying? Rather than the how am I listening? And I, I felt like as both of you were talking, like the visual almost was like, you know, tuning in, sorry, like for listeners who have never tuned in, you know, uh, to a, a radio station with actually like turning of the knob, like turning a little bit through the static, listening closely for what it is that that needs more attention. 
um, uh, you know, and, and learning learning to listen and learning to think about messaging. Um, and I know that we are here, of course, to talk about your book, but you both have reminded me of another book that I just learned about that was that also had multiple authors. Um, Bridget Todd has a great podcast called There Are No Girls on the Internet. And recently she had Dr. Jo- uh, Joan Donovan and Emily Dreyfus on to discuss their book. It's called The Meme Wars. And it's really about looking back at, you know, memes have always been around. This isn't just sort of like an Internet thing, but how certain messages, um, you know, Angeline, you brought up the whole idea of I, I don't see color or all lives matter and how some of those messages get produced, how they get amplified again and again and again, and how that communication piece operates. And I just really appreciate you you both kind of reminding us that we need to think critically about what are the messages that we're hearing? You know, you mentioned that superiority um, idea in your school. Is there a certain sport that is always prioritized as the most important sport for our students? And which culture does that sport come from? Why has it been sort of um, earmarked as the most significant one? But um, I just really appreciate you reminding me again that the mindsets, um, you know, Listening skills, I think, I, I would go out again on a limb and say, are going to be a part of a- any mindset. So what are we doing in our schools to prioritize those listening skills? And I, I reference this also because I think that your book is going to make really an excellent one for a staff-wide read or for a PLC book club. And I think it'll almost be like a meta experience to practice those listening skills within a book club discussing your work. So for schools who are looking to leverage your book as that PLC or that staff-wide read, or, you know, also don't discount the power of two. You know, one colleague working with another colleague can also be the spark for great things to come. Um, If there are, are leaders that would love to read this together, teachers who would love to get together and and talk more about this book. Can you address some of the opportunities that maybe there would be to connect with you directly for part of um, a sustained professional learning that sparks from the important work that you've put together with this book? Yet again, like another question that takes me five minutes to get out. My, My apologies. No, no, all, all, all good. Um, thank you. Thanks, Richard. Um, I guess I, I, I had in mind to, sh- to share a couple of um, things where we've got coming up. So like uh, just different ways to engage in some of the things we've been working on and, and writing. Um, so we've got uh, an article coming out in the International School Leader magazine um, on um, the total inclusivity change components model. So uh, again, this is aimed at uh, leaders and the things that they need to navigate on their journey to becoming uh, totally inclusive schools. So again, like um, same as Angeline mentioned in the, in the last chapter of the book, we're thinking about practical application. How can people take this and, and not go away and fix, you know, things that this is, this takes a real um, concerted effort of everyone in the community and a lot of intentional thought, but it's at least somewhere to, to go away and start thinking about um, and we've also been very lucky um, that we are contributing to um, ACES um, DEIJ guide, so the Association of International Schools in Africa. Um, and we're going to be writing a chapter on governance and leadership and uh, what we owe our students. 
Thanks, Sadie, for sharing a lot of um, the more, more writing. We, we've just finished writing a book and we've just like written some more articles. I, I didn't think that I didn't see myself having this trajectory. <laughs> if you asked me five years ago if this would be possible, I'd be like, no way. But uh, but uh, having Sadie by my side to help help me with all of this is is is, been, is a blessing. Um, yeah, and 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 you know the construct of the book really is based around a DEIJ advocacy series of workshops that I design and deliver to schools and so um I'm I look forward to being able to serve any school community who may be interested in comprehensively shifting on the levels that we talked about um in the book you know at a personal level starting with individuals um looking at your school culture which is the us piece and also thinking about your infrastructure which is which is that institutional piece so yeah feel free to contact me to explore possibilities and also like you know pd providers conference hosts podcasters panelists seekers you know feel free to reach out to if you would like some sessions um but if you're and and those kind of um, avenues i'm happy to do kind of one-off things for but if you are a school looking for kind of a one-off pd then i don't think i'm for you because i do think that it's really important um because I think that that that's kind of largely ineffective for you to shift into becoming a totally inclusive school, and so I'm really more interested in developing skills and mindsets and developing understandings of processes that you and your school community um, need, so that you can work and work and continue that work in your institution rather than delivering sort of random workshops on just one or two topics. Um, and because I really do think that if you want to become a totally inclusive school, you need to address very comprehensively the many different conduits for change that you will need. And um, and so I think that um, giving you the tools so that that's why I've titled it DIJ Advocacy, right? So that you hopefully by the end of the series of workshops and, and a series of of um, support and guidance and coaching that that I can provide for you, that you will be able to continue that work independently. Thank you. Thank you both for your responses. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think an important question is to ask within our learning organizations, how do we sustain these dialogues, right? What's the fuel that keeps them going? Um, what is it that we are doing to sort of adapt and move around different questions from different positions? So thank you so much for that. Listeners, I'll also let you know, again, if you're um, if your budget around purchasing books is tight right now, something that I've been trying to do that I think is really important that we can we can do within our educator community to support one another is a lot of local libraries will offer you the option to suggest books that maybe they are not aware are coming up yet. So um, I'm just going to copy paste and I'll leave in the show notes the link where if you want to let your librarian know about this book so that they can get copies on order, um, it it never ceases to surprise me how when you ask your librarian, they appreciate learning about new titles like this one. So that'll be over there in the show notes um, if asking your library to help you in supporting you to get your hands on a copy of this book is a pathway that you're interested in that will be there. Um, Angeline and Sadie, last question for this episode. If your book leaves readers with just one question, again, I know that it's going to leave them with more than one, um, but if it leaves them with just one question, what is a question that you would really hope to see thought more about as the result of spending time with your work? Yeah, sure. I guess I add two parts to this. Uh, you know, when someone asks for one thing, you know, you never listen or I never listen. Um, but I think um, the the question for me that I'd uh, you know, love if people would reflect on is how can I become a a better advocate for 
but becoming a totally inclusive school. How can I really do that in my context, my situation? Um, but what I hope is like the book, um, through reflecting on the book and through, you know, we've been really, really fortunate that people have shared their experiences through the book. And I think that really brings the ideas and concepts we're talking about to life. Um, and I hope through that, through the continuum through the work that's shared that you can come out with the confidence that you can make a difference so that's what I I hope to reflect but also that that I can make a difference. Uh, Stole some of what I wanted to answer Sadie but uh, it's good that we are thinking alike so there's coherence across the book Um, but but also I I just wanted to pick up on something Trisha shared earlier in order to answer this question Um, you know you mentioned that there are messages that are produced, right? And so within our schools, there's a lot of what's called the hidden curriculum that is just around. And there's a lot of cultural norms that uphold how our institutions function. And when you start working at the school, whether you've been there for 20 years or whether you're there for just two years or two weeks, um, you know, you feel it and you you hear it and you there are all those unwritten rules um, that are about. And so I hope that people will walk away and start from the, reading the book and think about, you know, am I complicit in upholding an inequitable structure and culture in a school? Or am I an advocate who will intentionally design a totally inclusive learning ecosystem that is actually going to meet the needs of all your students. Thank you for that. And that ongoing self-reflection is so very much important. Um, a book that both of you might be familiar with, a few weeks ago, Michelle Mijung Kim came on the show to talk about uh, their amazing book, The Wake Up, which um, I, I also really, really appreciated that in that book. And what I what I love is the author goes through this idea of it's not about being a good person, right? And sometimes we frame DEIJ work as look at me, I'm a good person, I'm doing this, and that we need to really move away from that kind of harmful take and realize we're all learners and we're never done. You know, you both pointed that out. This is not necessarily about I do so much, I tick off all of the boxes and then woof, great, I am a quote unquote good person and my school is inclusive, job well done, game over. Um, But it really is about sustained efforts questioning, constant reflection, that willingness to be in conversation, um, and that willingness to, um, you know, it's, I think, Dylan Williams who says, sometimes we need to stop doing good things in order to do better things. So even, you know, that that question about being complicit, Angeline, you know, I think I have worked at schools where it's like, well, but this is a tradition. Whose tradition? What makes it a tradition? And when we're thinking about, you know, the future profile of our graduates, a tradition that does what exactly um, and, and really rec- reckoning and, and grappling with that. So thank you both so much for, for coming on the show, for sharing about your book. I'm so excited to read it. I'm so excited to hear others discuss it. And I am just really excited that we have yet another resource that's going to sustain this dialogue. So listeners over there in the show notes. Grab that link, Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a Guide for Teachers and School Leaders. Um, congratulations. Again, I'm, I'm sure producing the book was also not an easy thing. Um, I know that it was it was most likely a, a really arduous task, but I'm so glad that you've put that work out there into the universe. Thank you both. Thanks, Trisha. Thanks, Trisha, for having us.